0: If you've been around American politics, you know, the joke is that all American presidents are Christians, right? they are all these Christians. They always pray. Um, And really, even in the nation at large, atheists, you know, are at an all-time low in spite of the efforts of Richard Dawkins and et cetera. Uh, Nearly everyone believes in God. Great, right? But what does that look like? Who are the true believers? What's interesting is it was just like that In Judah, in the time of Jeremiah, everyone believes in Yahweh, but how do they respond to him? What do they expect of him? What really distinguishes them? So in Judah and in our own nation, one thing that distinguishes the genuine disciple from the nominal believer is vision, because we follow Our vision, in other words, not just a vision like a business plan, but our our picture of what the ultimate realities in life are, that is what we follow. So what is our vision is the key question here. And we find in Jeremiah 37 and 38, you can turn to that, we find that there are actually several visions. The first vision is temporal, this world vision. So give you a little backdrop. Read the first three verses of Jeremiah 37. It says, Zedekiah, son of Josiah, was made king of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He was put in place by another guy. He reigned in place of Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim. Now listen to verse two. Here's a summary of his life. Neither he nor his attendants nor the people of the land paid any attention to the words the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. Verse 3, King Zedekiah, however, nonetheless, sent Yehuchal, son of Shallumaya, with the priest Zephaniah, son of Messiah, to Jeremiah the prophet with this message, please pray to the Lord our God for us. Do you hear any irony here? They don't listen to one word, he says, but when they're in trouble, hey, pray that God will bless us, right? Let's pray. So, Father, we ask as we come to you this morning that we would not be nominal believers who try to force you into our agenda, but that we would be disciples that would conform to your agenda. So, Father, we ask you to give revelation concerning your agenda, your kingdom, your rule this morning as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So verses 1 and 2 are the warm-up, right? That's where the cast of characters is introduced. It's a lot of Hebrew names, but we'll give you a little idea here. Zedekiah is the last king of Judah. He rules over the last 10 years. Of course, you already read he was put in place by the Babylonian king. And we'll just tell you right now, so you know what's coming, Zedekiah vacillates. He just, he just cannot stand Yehucho, we learn, is actually an opponent of Jeremiah. We learn from other passages. And we're not entirely sure, but Zephaniah is probably a supporter of Jeremiah. So uh, Ze- Excuse me, which one are you Zedekiah is probably sending one favorable person and one unfavorable person, you know, kind of both sides, right, to, to <laughs> Jeremiah here. And verse 3, the action begins. Pray for us. Why? Well, because they're surrounded by the Babylonians. I said he reigned the last 10 years. These two chapters are set in the last year of the history of Judah before Babylon destroys the city and takes over the nation. And so they are surrounded by the Babylonians at this time. Uh, They are, uh, we learn later when they throw Jeremiah in a cistern, cisterns where you store water during a siege, there's no water in it. It's filled with mud. They're going to try to starve Jeremiah to death because they're mad at him, right? But, but he's in the mud. What's that tell you? You're in the middle of a siege and your spare water is mud, not good, right? We're late in the siege. Things are in trouble. So now, pray for us, <laughs> right? And they're probably thinking of, about 100 years earlier, Hezekiah, a more godly king, and Isaiah is the prophet at the time, and they're surrounded by the Assyrians. And, they, and the prophet prays and God delivers. So they think, yeah, here we go. Let's, you know, history repeat itself. But God doesn't work that way. And for one thing, they're not the same kind of people. Pray for us. Why? Because God's job, we're his people, right? So God's job is to preserve our country and our lifestyle. To make Judah great again. Pardon me. <laughs> and they're kind of suspicious. Read in 37, 11 to 15. After the Babylonian army had withdrawn from Jerusalem, what happens is uh, Egypt is still trying to get some influence in the Middle East. And so they, they send out an army. It comes to nothing, which Jeremiah predicts, but the Babylonians have to deal with it. So they withdraw. It's like, whew, you know, the, the siege is over. And. This is what the Lord says. Do not deceive yourselves thinking, verse uh, 9. I am so sorry. Did I mess this up? Let's look at uh, verse 11. After the Babylonian army had withdrawn from Jerusalem because of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah started to leave the city to go to the territory of Benjamin to get his share of the property among the people there. We learned earlier in Jeremiah he buys some ancestral property as a sign of hope that someday things will get better. But when he reached the Benjamin gate, the captain of the guard whose name was um, Erijah, son of Shalemiah, the son of Hananiah, arrested him and said, You're deserting to the Babylonians. That's not true, Jeremiah said. I'm not deserting the Babylonians. But Erijah would not listen to him. Instead, he arrested Jeremiah, brought him to the officials. They were angry with Jeremiah, and they had him beaten and imprisoned in the house of Jonathan the secretary, which they made into a prison. Oh my gosh. They are suspicious of Jeremiah. And so what's the right stance here? Chapter 38, one to four. So here's what they think is the right way to do. Um, sorry for the names, it's, you know, it's Hebrew. Okay, here we go. Shephetiah, son of Matin, Gedaliah, son of Pasher, Yehukal, son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, son of Melchizedek, heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said, this is what the Lord says, whoever stays in the city will die by the sword, famine, or plague, but whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. He'll escape with his life. He will live. And this is what the Lord says. This city will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of the Babylon who will capture it. Well, then the officials said to the king, this man should be put to death. He's discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city as well as all the people by the things he's saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. Right? And so you can see their perspective. So see what's going on here? This is going to happen in our day. Follow carefully. Is your vision of the kingdom transcendent or tied to this world? For those who they really believe in Yahweh, but their vision is this world, somebody who has a transcendent vision, they see him as disloyal. You, I can't think of all the illustrations, but you look at the history of Israel. This happens over and over. The people with transcendent vision, they're not against their country, but he's saying God is doing something here. It's not fun, but if you'll cooperate, he won't destroy the place, right? If you will let him do what he's doing, but they don't want to hear it. Their only understanding of the kingdom is to preserve their way of life. They lack a transcendent vision, the big picture of what God is doing, they're convinced they're God's people, they're convinced they're in the right, so they have no tolerance for a prophet that speaks against them. Even though, remember verse 2 of chapter 37, even though they have not listened to God's word. Now you might think, well, maybe Jeremiah, you know, he's kind of a new prophet, maybe they're not sure about him. Hey, by this time they've got Isaiah, Hosea, Amos, Jonah and Micah, they could all be reading, and all Jeremiah is doing is commenting on those former prophets. They've had these other prophets for a hundred years, and they are not listening. This is serious. You can say, I'm a Christian, I believe God is good, but what is your vision? Is it all about this life? Hey, most of us have relatively sweet lives, right? I have never really wondered where my next meal's coming from since September 25th, 1957. You know what I mean? I've, I've lived in the most prosperous period of American history. Never had to worry about that. Never really, except maybe once or twice, wondered if my life was in danger but that was my fault because of what I was doing. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so, you know, certainly not God's problem, right? Yeah, but you know what? I still cannot root my life here. I cannot do that and be faithful to God. They've lost the moral dimension of their faith in God, and they cannot imagine God bringing them through a hard time in order to do a new thing in the kingdom. See, the problem with a temporal vision is you get tied to your current order and how life works in your society and how the economy works in politics and all that. But maybe God is taking history through a checkpoint where everything will never be the same. So then are you clinging to the old ways or are you following the Lord in what he is doing, changing history, right? Think of if you were alive during the printing press. The church felt like, well, we have control of information because, you know, people aren't very well educated, so that's how it's going to be, and we're not going to stick the Bible in the hands of people. And they were on the wrong side of history there, right? Not pointing fingers denominationally, just saying that was how it was, right? History changed forever. The internet, history changed forever, right? We're living in times right now where things are changing we don't know what COVID will mean. Maybe we will have to wear masks for a long time. I don't know, you know, probably get fashion. Oh, some of you already have fashion masks, I see, yes. Okay, very good. Uh, yeah, but the point being that sometimes things change and if you are tied to, well, I have my faith in God, so I know what's all supposed to be about. It better be the kingdom and not your ways. It better be the kingdom. Transcend vision. How do we do this today? Well, again, with our own nation. Some people think we can pray for God to bless America without repentance. God wants to bless America. God wants to bless every nation with repentance, with discipleship, with faith-filled obedience. But no one era, form of government, society can replace or deserve the loyalty of the kingdom of God. God's rule is bigger than all of us. You know, I I love this um, Israel's about to take the promised land and Joshua's a good man. And he's out, you know, kind of, I don't know, doing what, praying or something, you know? And God shows up, calls him the, the angel of the Lord, right? And so Joshua's like, so like, are you for us or our enemies? And the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, right? Second person in the Trinity. He says, "Ah, uh, <clears throat> neither. <laughs> oh <laughs> right but as the angel of the lord of the armies i now come oh right we're with god that's the right posture not god's with us right <laughs> okay yeah so we line up with god and we're doing good right yeah, absolutely god wants to bless obedience curse disobedience so you know The first vision then is temporal, this world alone. There's another vision that captures us. It is the transcendent eternal one. So look at uh, 37, verse six now. I started to read earlier. Chapter 37, verse six. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the king of Judah. uh, Sorry. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of me, Pharaoh's army which has marched out to support you, will go back to its own land, to Egypt. Then the Babylonians will return and attack this city and they will capture it and burn it down. Great message, huh? I mean, you know, okay, now think about that. Wouldn't you like to share that message? No. No. No, but here Jeremiah is the picture of the faithful believer given a message he did not choose, doesn't necessarily want to share it, a hard message not of his choosing, and he faithfully delivers that word at great personal cost. That's a disciple. He's accused, we saw earlier, of being a Babylonian collaborator. He's rejected, he's opposed He has to live a life of singleness, which in Jewish society, I mean, God tells him to, was was a really big deal, much bigger deal than in our society. He's misunderstood. He suffers. And get this. I'll, I'll just give you a little foreshadowing of the end of the story. When he's vindicated and his prophecy comes true, he can't even enjoy that. A bunch of guys take him and force him against God's word to go to Egypt. So even when he's vindicated, he suffers. His whole life is a cruciform, a cross-formed, suffering life for the people he loves. So he's powerless even in his vindication, much like the Savior. So there's others in, around him that are faithful as well, but Jeremiah is the preeminent example of the persecuted disciple in the Old Testament. And what do we learn from this? <laughs> well, <laughs> We learn some lessons we would rather not learn, right? (laughs) Which is that faithfulness does not always result in an easy life. (laughs) It's a blessed life, absolutely, yes, but it's not always easy. We're not always patted on the back or commended for obedience. The big one that you've got to see is you've got to back up and see the big picture of what God is doing on the earth and commit to the kingdom rule of God. If you do that, really, you'll seldom be shocked and you'll never be disappointed. Because no matter what God does in the temporal circumstance, if my eye is on the kingdom and I'm watching what God is doing and I'm doing what I can to get behind what God is doing, I'll be like, yes. I see the blessing of the kingdom. You know, pray, keep praying. Some want to silence the church on issues of life, abortion, euthanasia, the elderly, sexuality, uh, racial issues. The unity is found in Christ alone. In all of these areas, our message is that every single human being is made in the image and likeness of God himself, the image of God. And as they're born again, they're remade in the image of Jesus Christ. So that let's say that someone is born, and, and they're, I actually knew a guy like this, they're mentally about two years old. <laughs> I, I knew a guy named John down in Mankato. And uh, you have to understand, in Mankato, campus ministry is a little bit weird because everybody's either in high school or middle age or a college student. And so if you're, if you're like out of college age and not married, you I, I hate to say this, it's really hard to be single. Okay, they're like, well, what about that girl? I mean, they're like trying to get you married all the time, right? So, so even John, you know, and I had this... The gal that came with me to partner in ministry, she kind of liked me, but we knew her. You know, I was like, no, and she, okay, but you know, she was helping me So you can imagine every Sunday, this guy is 60 years old, and he'd come up and he'd tell you the same things every week. You know, Hi, my name is John. Hi, John. You know, Hi, my daddy was a preacher, my mother was a Bible teacher. Yeah, John, we heard that. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's great. You know? And then the next thing he would always say, he'd look at me and look at Jennifer and say, because we're the only non college students that aren't married, right? He would say, so, when are you two getting married? <laughs> Poor Jennifer would smile at him and say, we're not getting married, John. You know? <laughs> Can you imagine? She still faithfully served in the ministry for two years. Finally, she said, it's just too much. I said, I get it. Yeah, it's just, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, Right? Is John, in your view, a full human being? Oh, yeah, he is. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. Or issues of race, Every person. And so in that way, we stand in an interesting place in our culture, affirming some things the culture affirms, right? Racial justice issues, that they're correct. That's right, right. But in some areas, we stand as a sign of contradiction. And so to do that graciously is part of faithfulness the dignity of each person made in his image. But, some people talk about the preferential option for the poor in the Bible. Yeah, there's some truth in terms of God's mercy, but each person, no matter who they are, mental competence, race, background, has to choose to enshrine the king as their king. There's no salvation outside of Christ. And really, although I'm not against different movements, there's no real healing outside the gospel. You know, that's where I've experienced emotional healing. That's where I've experienced warm relationships from people from other subcultures, other races, other backgrounds, because there's a unity in Christ that transcends everything. Understand, let's not hide it. We have what our world needs. Surrendering to the rule of God brings everlasting life, healing, and reconciliation. Hallelujah. It's an eternal hope. I I was thinking earlier, uh, I can't remember, one of the songs that the worship team led us in, and somebody shared about this, but it was about resurrection, and it was an intense time in the worship. You know, it was kind of when we were beginning to really, I could tell as a group. And he was talking about the resurrection of the Son of God. And I'll just tell you personally, I couldn't help but think of my wife, Michelle, and the moment I watched her die. The resurrection. This is what changes everything. Death does not hold us. We have true disciple of Christ. We have what the world needs. Yeah, there's opposites. We have what the world needs. So the second vision that captures us is that transcendent vision. Well, that's great. End of sermon, right? Well, unfortunately not. (laughs) There's a third vision, not a good one. It's the vacillating vision. It is Zedekiah. Zedekiah Do you wanna do a little extra reading this week? Okay, read uh, the latter part of Jeremiah, chapters 37, 38, uh, some other, it's kind of scattered around, it's not in historical order, and you gotta kind of read it through a little bit, but he is the most fascinating character in the book of Jeremiah, very real. Uh, Don't read all this now, but in 37, verses 15 and 16, the officials throw Jeremiah in a dungeon. I already read that earlier. Um, Verse 21 of the same chapter he changes that and he orders them under palace guard and he gives them a you know, daily bread order, right? So things are really tight. And so, okay, get a daily bread order. Jeremiah's not gonna starve. But then early in chapter 38, uh, the officials are really mad, right? They wanna throw him in a cistern. And uh, so he says, okay, what can I do? You know, I'm just the king, you guys are, you know. All right, so they let them throw him in a muddy well where they're gonna starve him to death. And uh, so then, as we heard two weeks ago, if you were here, uh, in chapter 36, verses 7 to 13, an Ethiopian guy named Ebed melech convinces Zedekiah to let him rescue Jeremiah. So they, they get about 30. King says, okay, it's going to be a be buddy here. So he gives them about 30 guys. They go rescue him. He's so weak, they give him cloth to stick under his arms. You know, in other words, he can't even help pull himself up. They just, just pull him out of the well. The guy's just about falling over, right? And, uh, and so he lets Eben melech rescue Jeremiah. But you know what I want to say to that? Who's the king around here? You know, <laughs> Zedekiah, what is up with you? you know, he's just, okay, you know, trying to keep everybody happy and, and for a little bit afraid and, you know, oh my gosh. What is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. Now read 38, verses 14 to 20. Then King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet, had him brought to the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. I'm going to ask you something, the king said to Jeremiah. Don't hide anything from me. Well, Jeremiah said, oh, yeah? If I give you an answer, won't you kill me? (laughs) Like, I should trust you, you know, right? Uh, Even if I did give you counsel, you wouldn't listen to me, right? He's been preaching, you know, 10 years of this, right? Whatever, right? A little cynical on Jeremiah's part. But King Zedekiah swore this oath secretly to Jeremiah. Secretly note, as surely as the Lord lives, who has given us breath, I will neither kill you nor hand you over to those who are seeking your life. Well, okay. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, well, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Not a new message, right? If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your, listen, your life will be spared and this city will, will not be burned down and you and your family will live. Now, pause a moment. Keep your finger there. We're going to read some more. God has determined, we've learned at this point in Jeremiah, that he's going to give Nebuchadnezzar permission to take over the Middle East. So there's a fascinating uh, dynamic between God's sovereignty and human freedom, right? So God gives the Babylonian instrument, freedom, but doesn't completely control how that instrument carries out that freedom. So this is a word of wisdom saying, look, if you'll just surrender, it'll be okay, and I'll take you through. It's a real promise. You're going to live. Well, okay, verse 18. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, this city will be handed over to the Babylonians. They'll burn it down, and you yourself will not escape from their hands. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who've gone over to the Babylonians. Right? The people have already surrendered. I've listened to Jeremiah. Uh, For the Babylonians may hand me over to them and they will mistreat me. He's afraid. They will not hand you over, Jeremiah replied. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you. Then it will go well with you and your life will be spared. But if you refuse, you know, it'll be bad. Okay. So, and then verse 24 then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, don't let anyone know about this conversation or you may die. Interesting person. Zedekiah, king of Israel, Judah. Who is he thinking about? Himself and his survival. A lot of you have led before, right? You've led something, a group, led in your industry, right? Yeah. Is that your job, to think about yourself? There are people like that. We don't respect them. Thinking about himself, A. B, what's the dominant emotion? Fear. Fear is the root of vacillation. As a pastor, I've been through this one early in pastoring, you know, well, if I really tell them people the whole truth, man, will they not like me And maybe they'll go to another church? Fear. It causes vacillation in leadership, being honest. That's why Zedekiah is so fascinating. Verse 17 is remarkable. God is still offering Zedekiah mercy. You think, you know, God is patient, all right, still offering mercy, Zedekiah is honest. He fears the the Jews have gone over to Babylon, but he also fears the Jews in Jerusalem. That's why he needs secrecy. So the root of the vacillating believer is not sure who to believe, and he's fearful. Is that you? You don't have to nod your head. Let me give you some examples. Fighting addictions. I I counsel people in this area sometimes. The real question is, is it really true that God wants to bring me satisfaction through His way? Will sexual sobriety bring satisfaction? What if not, oh no. Every bodily lust, sexual, food, the fear is, I will not find satisfaction God's way. And the truth is that you won't for a while, that there's always a period of, of um, cleansing and uh, de addicting before you become bonded in the right way, right? For those who are married and uh, at peace for those who are celibate, right? So it's really a, a vacillation comes. Because we fear that God is not trustworthy. Give me another example, fear, whether COVID or whatever. Will God really watch over every trial in my life that he allows? Will I have grace for what I'm facing? Will I get COVID? What will happen? Can I trust God for my suffering and my survival? Key question. Doesn't mean life always goes well. My wife, Michelle, died of a brain tumor. Is God still good when those things happen? I'll just tell you, yes, he is. But it's not a light answer. Can we trust God for all of the circumstances in our lives, good and bad, that the shepherd only allows through the door that which is his will to bring him glory and to perfect and purify us? You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's all going to be bliss. But I'm saying, can we trust the shepherd or will we live in fear? That's what Zedekiah faced. Fighting for faith. This is the ultimate issue. Can I trust the biblical vision for the kingdom of God? Because that really does not impact you that much on Sunday if you're here. It impacts you on Monday. If, if the kingdom of God is really the ultimate reality, then whether I am an engineer killing germs like Keith did for, you know, many years, <laughs> or whether I am a pastor or whether I am a teacher or a social worker, that vision is going to impact every minute of my day. The vision of the kingdom brings life, peace, and direction. But a lot is at stake. Just one more thing to unpack and then we'll close. You know probably the end of the story. Zedekiah ultimately gives way to fear. He loses his children and they blind him and take him into captivity. In other words, listen carefully. His lack of of spiritual vision causes his literal lack of physical vision. And so his attempts to save himself fail. He may be in heaven, but he missed his earthly purpose. But here's the tragedy, it's not only personal. His fear led to the destruction of Jerusalem and the loss of many, many, many lives. When we fail to trust God and give way to fear, all those around us are wounded and damaged. I'll say that again. It's not, there's a positive, which I'll say in a minute, but let me get the, the negative out here. When we fail to trust God and give way to fear, others around us are wounded and damaged. So here's the positive. Your faith brings help and healing to those around you. When you walk in faith, you may think, well, who do I impact? Everybody around you. You know, we're so individualistic, but you know what the reality is, we're a community. As we walk in faith, not just sojourn, the whole body of Christ throughout the country, throughout the world, as we walk in faith, as you take your steps of faith, others are helped and healed, hallelujah. You do not have to be a Zedekiah. You've probably been a Zedekiah in the past. I have. You do not have to be a Zedekiah from this day forward. As we walk and we say, Lord, I am going to trust you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to believe the vision of the kingdom of God, which is that every person around us that we see is an eternal soul that will either encounter God for the rest of eternity or lose that vision in hell for the rest of their lives. And I will live my life in light of that vision. And I will do whatever little thing I can do to bring the love of Christ and the truth of Christ into the situations I find myself with grace and truth to bring life there because I believe the vision of the kingdom. I believe it is the ultimate reality and I'll do everything I can as God gives me to help the kingdom of God to grow. Who today will come to Jesus, give him your fears and ask for a fresh vision of the kingdom of God? It's time for true satisfaction versus addiction. It's time for faith over fear. It's time for a vision for his kingdom. Stand with me, let's pray. Hallelujah. Actually, going to open it up. There might be one or two of you that would like to pray.
1: God, I just pray that you would break through the barrier of fear in our lives
0: by giving us an open vision of your power and your love and your absolute
1: sovereignty over everything in our lives. If our God is for us, who can be against us?
0: Who can we fear when you are by our side? Lord, free us from the fear.
1: Lord, we just pray that you will open the eyes of our heart and that you will just open our eyes to the spiritual realm and the spiritual battle around us. That we will see what is going on in the people around us and that you will just like, you will give us your eyes to see each person as you see them and to see this fight as you see this fight. Just pull away the veil that is sometimes over our vision and just give us your vision and your eyes. Yes, Father, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in our region, Lord, in our nation, in this world, as it is in heaven. Lord, the good works you have predestined that we should walk in, that we'd be bold and confident in your love for us, that your love would flow through our hearts. Father, that you'd fill us with the knowledge of your will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we may walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing you in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened according to your glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Thank you, Father, for the oil of joy, for the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You have lifted our burdens. You declared us free We accept your freedom. It's for freedom that you made us free. Joy in in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the resurrection life of Christ inside of us. For your mercy, Father, may our hearts be filled with your mercy toward others with joy. Father, show us again that you are still working. You are still healing, you are still saving. You haven't changed, things have not, things are not on hold in your kingdom's advancement. And just remind us that you are still doing wonderful things.
0: Hallelujah, Lord. So as we close, I invite you, just right where you are, surrender First of all, every fear, Lord, in Jesus' name. I give you every fear. We lift it to you right now. Fear for ourselves, parents, with fear for children and grandchildren. Jesus' name. Business or work, school, health. Lift everyone. And Father, secondly, now we pray, ignite in each one a fresh vision of the rule of the kingdom of God in our lives, in our church, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our extended families, Lord, the rule of the kingdom, we pray, may your righteousness, your peace, and your joy rule, Rule, O oh God. Again, we pray, may your righteousness, peace, and joy rule in our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, O oh God. We thank you, O oh God, and trust you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.